This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team that actually gets to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. That's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and we got Bryant West on here, as we usually do. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Brendan. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's a good time for the uh, meeting of the uh, Robert Woodard bandwagon, huh? It is. Man, I have had so much fun watching these Robert Woodard games. Um, we're just recording here on, uh, what day is it, Thursday night, right after Woodard's second performance. Um, and man, 20 plus points in both of these games. Um, I, I'm just going to kind of run through uh, these stat lines because this very first game, and I, I wrote a little breakdown, mini breakdown of it that's up on King's Herald. Definitely check it out for anyone listening. Um, but he doesn't start the game, um, but he ends up with 17 points at halftime on what I believe was 8 of 11 shooting at the half. Um, he does everything within the flow of the offense. Like I, you go into this thing, you're like, okay, this is a defensive prospect. You know, you do, I, I think I even tweeted at one point at the beginning of the game. I was like, he's not a guy that pops off the screen. Um, he popped off the screen for the rest of the game. Um, ends up with, like I said, 17 in the first half and then was kind of quiet in the third quarter and beginning of the fourth and then really like closed the game kind of, um, 25 points on the night in 34 minutes on 10 of 14 from the field. One of two from three, uh, four of six from the line, seven rebounds, two assists, a steal, um, only two fouls, zero turnovers. Like the things he's and he's trying to dunk on absolutely everybody. By the way, uh, which has always been the best thing about Robert Woodard. And sometimes, sometimes it's too much, um, and that didn't seem to be the case in the second game. I think he like toned it down a little bit. but, yes, no, it was absolutely amazing. Like, there's no fear. This is the guy that, you know, reports came out that he was already leading the team in bench press. Um, he's just absolutely yoked for being a um, only sophomore coming out of Mississippi State. Um, and anyone not familiar, this is like a 6'6 six, six to 6'7. Six, um, we've seen, I guess, some kind of conflicting heights. Um guy with a 7'1 wingspan and, and just like your prototypical 3 and D um, I just loved everything I saw from him on that first game. It's smart cuts. It's a willingness to um, shoot threes and, and has a promising-looking stroke. Um, there's some things that, you know, like I think maybe 
five points or so in each of these games that are just like, okay, well, he's able to do that because it's G League competition, where maybe like one or two shots where he's kind of like creating off the dribble with a crossover that actually isn't all that convincing. Um, but for the most part, what he's doing, I think, is like actually very translatable things. He does everything within the flow of the offense. Um, he's on the Austin Spurs that, you know, everything is getting run through Trey Jones, who had 16 assists in the first game, by the way, 18 points and 16 assists. I absolutely love that guy. Um, everything gets run through Trey Jones in the open court or Luka Samanich, I believe is how you say the, the last name, mm-hmm. in, um, in a, a half-court setting. And then Woodard is just doing cuts, like I said, and just everything within the flow of the offense. I am, like, so excited from what I saw from him in that game one. And then he just kept it up, game two, second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, you know, I've always, uh, since I started watching Robert Woodard last year, I've always been impressed with his defense. But, um, you know, the question really was, what's he going to do on offense? Is he just going to be a pick-and-dive kind of guy? Is he going to be a transition cut monster? Um, The best play to me in your highlight package tonight, which I encourage people to go find on Twitter if they – want to check out Robert Woodard's highlights uh, was that step back three in the closing minutes like I didn't know he had that in his bag um, so if uh, if he's got any ability to uh, keep shooting from the outside I mean this is as good as it gets if you're a believer in Robert Woodard uh, and it makes me only more hopeful that he gets some actual run with Sacramento when this G League bubble ends um, I treat, tweeted a sarcastic comment yesterday about how it's amazing that he didn't get any playing time considering Sacramento's back and bad wing depth. Um, and a bunch of Kings fans pushed back at me and said, you know, G League bubble is the right development process for Woodard. Uh, Luke Walton clearly is not going to find playing time for Woodard. So, you know, I, I understand it to an extent. Like, I'm glad that he and Jemias Ramsey are getting development run in the G League bubble, but I can't wait for Robert Woodard to come back to the play- parent club. To me, there's just no reason why um, – even if Luke Walton is full, we need to try and win as many games now as possible. I mean, <laughs> Glenn Robinson III is only getting five to ten minutes a contest. Just give Robert Woodard those minutes for two, three games in a row. Just try it. See what happens. Because the uh, uh, worst that can happen is you just go back to the vet. But this sure looks like a, a rookie that's going to be a, a defensive impact player pretty early, and uh, if he keeps playing within the flow of the offense like you highlighted, I mean, sky's the limit. We could find an excellent sixth man here. Yeah, um, you know, very Daquan Jeffries-esque, except actually has, um, I I think, a more promising jumper to him um, and and less slashing ability than uh, Daquan Jeffries. Um, Pulling up Robert Woodard's uh, numbers from – the time that he spent in Mississippi State, where, again, he spent two seasons um, in that second year. He really had an emphasis on improving his three-point shot. The freshman year was 44 total attempts and only 27% from range. Um, sophomore year jumped to 30 or 70 total attempts, sorry, on 42% from three. Um, he's definitely felt confident pulling them in um, the bubble. I, I think that he, you know, had a... a one or two heat checks in that first game, but he weirdly deserved them, um, which is something I never thought that I would say going into this. Um, and, yeah, there's there's definitely post-ups that, that I feel like he um, could be translatable in regards to, like, if he gets a smaller guy on him with the strength that he has. Um, it's never, like, doing too much or anything. Like I said, it's it's catching after, you know, doing all your work before the catch and already having a foot in the paint and then rising up and just having a soft little touch with a right-hand um, push, um, kind of little hook, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah, on defense, he was the, – the Spurs are, I think, a great development system from for him from what I'm seeing. Um, well, first of all, it's the Spurs. Um, I, I think we kind of said before this, you know that you're getting a good coaching staff with the Spurs. Um, and – he is in a very high-paced offense. They are pushing the pace, and this is it simplifies the game for him. And I think that this is part of the reason that um, it, it's been a somewhat seamless transition for him. There's less, like, sets to learn and things like this. It's just, you know, he has a good understanding of basketball and spacing um, and, and proper positioning, cutting, taking advantages of guys and things like that, and it's very easy to do in an open court. Um and then on the defensive end, they're switching a lot. Um, I mentioned in the article, and, and probably should pull some clips of it, like, you know, he has stretches of guarding Tyrell Terry, who's 6'2", um, 
quick as hell Stanford guard that you know Kevin Kevin O'Connor was in love with, who played very well for what it's worth. Um, and then he has moments of guarding Freddie Glipsy, who was the Baylor center um, for I, I want to say he spent four years there. He's about six eight, which mm-hmm. I actually thought he was way bigger than that. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's incredible defensive range right there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely incredible there. And I will say, you know, Woodard was always the high floor guy um, and low ceiling. And I still, you know, what I've seen hasn't really changed that. I've been a little bit surprised with the off the dribble um, shooting, but I I don't think he's a guy that's ever creating space for himself. Um, There's definitely moments he puts the ball on the floor and he's not, if he's pressured while the ball's on the floor, you know, he's going to end up losing it. Um, He's definitely not a guy that's ever creating for himself in my mind. Um, but being able to create opportunities while the defense is focused on other players and, um, yeah, I mean, being the leading scorer while you're not the high-usage guy is just very telling about being active on that end of the floor. So I don't want, like, people to think my hype is like, okay, this guy's, you know, an ex-all-star or something, Um, but I I just think that we have a very interesting role player on our hands. Um, I want to say I had him 29th on my big board, Going into That's the year, what I had him too. Um, it was it was actually 30th or 31 because the other one was Jemias Ramsey. I want to say I had Ramsey 30 and Woodard 31, but I had them right next to each other, pretty much as first rounders. Um, and yeah, again, the high floor guy. Um, I don't think there's a crazy ceiling or anything like this, but playing within the flow of the offense and just really not being a guy that makes many mistakes. Um, or does too much, I think there's tremendous value in this. And, you know, I, I mentioned this in my piece, and this was kind of how I framed my promotion tweet of it too, like people have seen the play of Xavier Tillman and I think are getting a little envious of what Memphis has. Um, I know you were very big on Tillman actually, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I had him 25th, I think, on my big board. Yeah, and Tillman um, was really popular, and I understand yeah. what you saw. Um, but, it, you know, my, my point of view was like I think that uh, – wings are just more valuable than centers in the modern NBA. Um, and, and Tillman has been very useful, but I mean, moving down five picks, Sacramento select had pick 35, selected Tillman, traded him to Memphis for pick 40, uh, moving down five spots where they selected Woodard and also gained an additional second rounder. Um, I think that's good business. I, I love the pick at the time and uh, Woodard is, is keeping this up for me right now. So since you're helping the fandom out by checking out all these uh, G League bubble games, uh, did you have a chance to watch your buddy Jemias Ramsey uh, in his contests for the Aqua Caliente? I did. I did, yeah. He's on the uh, the Clippers G League squad. Um, and it definitely felt like, well, Jemias was counterintuitively the high floor guy, right? Or I'm sorry, high ceiling, low floor player. Um, he's the seventh youngest player in the NBA right now. Um, I think we said, I, I think I accidentally said he was top five youngest guys in the draft. Uh, it turns out he was seventh, I verified since the last recording. Um, can I, can I test you? You want to try to get the other seven? Oh God. Um, Hoku. Mm-hmm, that's number one. God. Um, Patrick Williams. That's number two. God, I'm just going by draft. Um, man, I don't know. That <laughs> got two. I'm proud of myself. Well, you also got Lamelo and Anthony Edwards, um, Killian oh, Hayes. I would not have got Anthony Edwards. I thought he was I mean, yeah, in the middle of the age range. Born in 2001, man. That is so crazy. Um, Killian Hayes, Theo Maladon, Jamias Ramsey, oh. Isaiah, and then you got Isaiah Stewart, Kyra Lewis, James Wiseman. All first rounders except Theo Maladon and Jemias Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you know Jemias was expected to be a little bit more raw. Um, and at the beginning of this game, he he's on a team that I think the roster isn't um, necessarily amazing for him in, in regards to like complimenting him or anything like that. Um, you know the the main other players on the roster, Kai Bowman, who I'm surprised Kai Bowman is on a G League roster, to be honest. I thought he had good minutes um, with Golden State's team throughout last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrone Wallace, who's seen NBA minutes. Amir Coffey, who's seen NBA minutes. Um, yeah, so, and, and that's a lot of players that are, you know, ones or twos that are kind of similar to Jemias. And uh, he did a lot of standing in the corner for the beginning of 
pretty much the first half of the game. Um, and, yeah, there, there just wasn't much action for him. And then in the second half, I think they, he kind of did a little bit more of maybe running a pick and roll or being willing to attack a closeout or actually just really getting to touch the ball. Um, and ended up in 21 minutes, uh, six points on two of nine from the field, 0 of four from three, and, and hit his one free throw attempt. Um, the, all of his shots were hitting the front of the rim. All of them were short, um, which is interesting. I guess it's consistent. Um, mm-hmm. I have no concerns of Jemias' jump shot. That That is the one thing um, that I, I'm pretty dang confident in. Um, during his freshman year at Texas Tech, 5.2 three-point attempts a game, and he made 42.6% of them. Um, not really concerned about the jumper eventually falling. Um, but, yeah, he, he did a good job getting downhill and had a couple nice finishes. Um, there were definitely moments of, you know, kind of falling asleep on defense, which I think we knew would maybe be the case a little bit of, like, you know, not boxing a guy out and an easy offensive uh, put back for the other team that you could kind of hear him get chewed out for. Um, so, yeah, just just little things of a more raw prospect, you know, which is I think kind of what you expected from Jemaya. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but you, you see the quickness to him. You see a uh, – a willingness to to let it fly, a, a promising form, and uh, there Jemias does have an upside of actually like creating space for himself, and I think running a pick and roll that I would say Woodard probably doesn't, um, but Woodard is the more safe player. Obviously, Ramsey was always going to take some time, and I think like mm-hmm. while I'm with you, you know Woodard could totally t- take Glenn, Glenn Robinson's minutes in my mind right now. Um, Ramsey needs G League bubble experience. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the upside of the kid, but. Um, definitely good for him to be getting reps right now. And he got more comfortable throughout. You know, it was even the beginning of the game. He's like picking up your dribble too early. Um, we saw Tyrese Halliburton look really rough in his first game of extended mm-hmm. run um, and doing that exact same thing. So um, Woodard's the outlier to perform crazy like this in your first real extended minutes. And I think Ramsey's performance is kind of like more to be expected, really. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how um, their two teams keep using them and, uh, I mean, we've got plenty of games to go. This G League bubble goes until uh, early March when they've got a single elimination tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how things develop. And, uh, you know, if Luke Walton wasn't going to be able to find time for either player in the rotation, uh, sending them to the G League's probably the best idea. So, Yeah, um, definitely. If it, Most of these games are on ESPN+. Plus. Some of them happen to be on Twitch, um, like the next Austin Spurs game will be on Twitch, which I definitely me- recommend watching. I've loved the Spurs games. Like I said, I think Trey Jones and Robert Woodard is an amazingly fun duo. That That's actually an 8 a.m. game um, on Saturday, though. So, you know, there's it's a day off for people. Uh, I'm not sure you want to wake up at 8 a.m. on your day off, but, hey, I'm telling you, Woodard will make it worth it. Um, and then the next game for the Clippers is tomorrow, Friday, at 4.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time against the Iowa Wolves. That one is only on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I'll definitely be, be watching and, and posting stuff about it. Um, and, and the games that are going to be nationally aired regularly is this G League Ignite team. Um, and, and we saw them kick off the, the bubble experience. And uh, how much of that game were you able to catch? I caught about half of it, uh, certainly enough to really enjoy uh, Jonathan Kuminga in a lot of ways I wasn't expecting to. Like, we knew he was an energy guy. We knew that he was just going to go and try to dunk on people and definitely has uh, NBA tool set already. But, uh, man, as everybody else on Twitter talked about, uh, the passing was something I didn't know from my – uh, previews of these two players, I didn't know to expect that from Jonathan Kaminga, and I think he had ended up with four assists yesterday, and uh, the ones I saw were really impressive, so that was good to see. Yeah, um, I haven't done as much draft research as I would have liked at this point, um, but, you know, I probably have about 10 guys or so that I feel comfortable with. Um, overreactions, Kaminga's like number three, um, because <laughs> it was insane. Like, he is built obviously which was known um yes. but you know the critique was that he was a very poor feel player right that it was kind of poor decision making and i just didn't see that like there were stretches of it i guess but there i were... saw it at the end of the game i he when uh, the ignite team had a decent lead and uh when the bleeding started he 
didn't make such great decisions and tried okay. to force up some threes when he was pretty cold. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's an 18-year-old professional game, so I, right. I can't be too critical of the kid. Yeah, um, I, I will admit the Woodard game started 30 minutes after this one, so I, I did kind of have it mm-hmm. on in the background and then had to go back and watch him. But yeah, Kuminga with 33 minutes and 19 points. I have 9 of 18 from the field, 1 of 7 from 3, um, and 0 of 1 from the line. He had two blocks. One of them was a monster block. Um, I forget exactly on who, but it was kind of a weak side rim protection sort of situation um, that was phenomenal. Four fouls, four turnovers. I mean, I was extremely impressed with what I saw from Kuminga. Um, Jalen Green looked more rough than Kuminga, I think. Um mm-hmm. You know, you definitely yeah. see the quick hitch, twitch explosiveness, like space creation ability. Um, but, yeah, the strength, that I think, is going to be an issue for him on the defensive end for a little while, especially. And I think that's part of what makes Ignite experience really good for him um, is going against really, I mean, grown men. Like, he's got Amir Johnson, Jared Jack on his team, and he's playing against similar-ish type players um, that are a lot stronger than what he would be going against in college. So I think it'll be a a good development experience for him. Yeah. Um, I honestly forgot he was on the floor for that the first half of the game that I watched. And I turned away, and suddenly he's replaced by Deshaun Nix, who was uh, quite a lot more um, uh, impactful in that game anyways. So, I mean, it's plenty early. Uh, impossible to make any conclusive decisions about these guys at this point, although I did see quite a few um, Jonathan Kuminga number one tweets uh, during that game, which is just the most reactive <laughs> nonsense I've seen. But, well, let me tell you, none of these guys um, scored as much you know, points as Robert Woodard in either one of his games. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, that definitely says something about that, Robert Woodard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, Jalen Green, like you said, uh, Knicks actually ended up closing the game over Green, um, which is telling. And, and by the way, uh, Mike Schmitz put out videos with all three of these guys. I didn't watch the Knicks one, but he does those film watching videos with guys. Um, and he has some film that I don't think had been released that he kind of spent a couple days watching their practices before um, the debut of the bubble. And the Jalen Green one, uh, both of them were great. But the Jalen Green one, he talks about how, um, you know, they have a play called Baby where they literally just post up Jalen Green. Um, and he's just been kind of, you know, getting used to that. And, and again, just dealing with the physicality and growing through that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a growing experience for both of these guys in different aspects. And, uh, yeah, I mean, both are, you know, locks to be top 10 picks at the very, very, very latest. Um, and Dashin, Dashin, Nix, how do you say the first name? I I thought it was Dashon, Okay, how they were saying it okay. on the broadcast. I, I, I'm not yeah. a thousand percent sure. Well, Nix is what we'll go with. He was really impressive to me, actually. For sure, yes. Um, yeah, I, I thought that uh, his playmaking, like he made some really nice over-the-top reads out of the pick-and-roll. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was primarily the playmaking that really impressed me in, in his pick-and-roll um, ability and, and creation out of there, you know, being able to finish in that situation and uh, kind of hounding opposing guards on the defensive end of the floor. I, I was that, This was my first time ever seeing any Knicks, um, and yeah, I, I definitely liked what I saw. I'm really appreciative that the G League bubble is going off like this because uh, not only is it going to condense these G League games into, you know, a month of just straight basketball, which is uh, great development for these players, gives them real meaningful opportunity and, a, you know, an end goal in sight. But, uh, I mean, with everything else going on, uh, it would have been really easy for um, the G League just to be like, nope, we're not doing anything, which would have been really disappointing because there's so many uh, guys on the Ignite squad that, you know, we really wanted to get some good film on before we go into the draft process. So um, thank goodness that they're televising these games and uh, now we can actually have some good, honest opinions about these players without just relying on uh, P.D. Webb and uh, his extensive knowledge of them back in high school. Right. Yeah, I get to form a little bit of our own opinions and uh... – yeah, I cannot wait for Kuminga and Robert Woodard to go head to head. Let me tell you, the two stars of the G League. Oh, that so fun. Um, yeah, so I think the the one other thing that I kind of wanted to do a little bit in this episode, um, I was surprised there was no game today. I actually thought there was a game. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. 
which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. I woke up this morning and planned on tweeting that <laughs> so there were I. three different Kings games with both the G League ones and then was shocked. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of thought we could use that as an opportunity to kind of it, – it's not a point where you can actually reevaluate your draft pay, takes, but more of if we were to have selected one of these other players, kind of how would we feel right now? Um, and the way we start off, like if – if Tyrese Halliburton would have been the pick to the Phoenix Suns at, what was it, pick eight, I believe? They picked no, um, pick ten. A ten. Yeah. They, they picked Jalen Smith, uh, mm-hmm. your guy, but uh, probably a little bit of a reach and very surprising. Um, if they would have picked Tyrese Halliburton, who would you have taken at pick 12? Or who who are the names that would have been in consideration, yeah. I guess, before you say the name? Well, uh, assuming Devin Vassell went 11 to the Spurs, um, you know, some guys that definitely would have warranted consideration, uh, Aaron Neesmith, um, you know, Sadiq Bey should have gotten some consideration. Uh, looking back, Jane McDaniels might have deserved some consideration, but, I mean, you know the guy who I'm going to say. It's, it's still Tyrese Maxey. I don't care that he dropped to 21 for uh, Philadelphia. Um you know, I was really sad that we didn't get to see him play against Sacramento because he's clearly a developmental reserve on an incredibly deep Philly roster. But uh, he's played in 24 games so far, about 17 minutes per contest, and his per 36 minutes are great. Uh, 18 points, four rebounds, nearly four assists, seven and a half steal. I mean, one and a half steals per game, 47% from the field. Uh, he had that ridiculous 39% 39-point explosion against Denver in early January, yeah, and from that game minutes, on, he's man. yeah. And from that game on, for the next uh, seven games, he backed that up with uh, six games straight with over 12 minutes, 12 points in each contest. So he's clearly a guy who's just waiting for minutes opportunity. And uh, you know, I happened to be watching that Denver game, and all that game did was just make me be like, "Yep, this was the guy." Um, if Tyrese Halliburton hadn't been there, he was absolutely my favorite pick. And, uh, you know, maybe the shooting wouldn't have been quite so good as uh, Tyrese uh, Halliburton has been showcasing with his ridiculous uh, improvement off the dribble and off the catch. But uh, Tyrese Maxey's going to be a star. He's already a very capable on-point defender. And uh, I'm really looking forward to see him thrive in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think uh, by the time of the draft, you had very much talked me into Maxi. Um, it was a guy I was totally fine with. Um, and, and like you said, um, I, I think a big part of the appeal was someone that would come in and, you know, kind of give a defensive feeling to the team and, and change um, the culture on that end a little bit. And uh, Halliburton has, has done that himself. Um, with, with amazing off-ball plays. I think Maxie is a little bit more of like an on-ball, like you said, point-of-attack guy. Um, but Maxie would have felt, I, I think, like a good pick at 12. Um, I, uh, yeah, obviously, if Vassell was there, we would have taken Vassell. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth. But Vassell, no, no, right. for sure. Okay, yeah. For sure, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, once, once Jalen Smith went 10, because I was like, okay, uh, like when 10 was up, it was like, well, Halliburton and Vassell are gone, and now we're in the situation that we exactly expected to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jalen Smith went, and I was like, oh, my God, we have one of Halliburton or Vassell. This is perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. That really was the perfect situation for Sacramento. And, I mean, I know that uh, it's been well documented that Sacramento really kind of – Sacramento and Tyrese Halliburton really kind of engineered their perfect fit um, because – both the team and Tyrese identified each other as exceptional fits for De'Aaron Fox, and this was clearly a place that Tyrese Halliburton wanted to go. Um, but if Phoenix had just selected him otherwise, it really it would have been what we'd expected all along, and then we would have been talking ourselves into 
you know, we don't know what Monty McNair would have done, uh, whether it would have been Tyrese Maxey, Aaron Neesmith, uh, maybe it would have been Alexei Pokashevsky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know. Right, which I want to get to a, a little bit of how these guys have kind of started. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting for the listeners as well that kind of got invested in some of these players and, and had their picks. But uh, Vassell um, is definitely three and D guy. I mean, to be getting 20 minutes yeah. a night on a on – a, um, Greg Popovich coach team, I think, speaks to the level of NBA readiness to him. 40% from three on two and a half attempts. Um, and, and, you know, just one in, 1.2 steals the game in just under 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Extremely impressive. Um, he's this off-ball playmaker that we kind of expected him to be a 3 and D guy. Um, and uh, you, you read an article today that people are pretty hyped on his upside. No? <laughs> I did. I stopped pounding the rock, had an article titled... Squint to Devin Vassell's rookie numbers, and you can see Kawhi Leonard. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the first 36 minutes weren't crazy. Um, uh, I thought Kawhi Leonard's shooting percentage was definitely higher. His three-point percentage wasn't anything close to Devin Vassell, which I think is definitely the difference in their abilities. That's why Vassell is um, going to be a better player than Kawhi Leonard. Right? <laughs> I mean, all you got to know about uh, – Devin Vassell and how good he is right now is the fact that he's getting minutes for a Greg Popovich team that is otherwise I mean honestly they might be the most stacked team when it comes to wings and forwards I mean DeMar DeRozan gets 33 minutes a game and then they gotta find time for Keldon Johnson who's starting Rudy Gay, Lonnie Walker DeJounte Murray, Derek White I mean Devin Vassell getting 18 minutes in that rotation is in itself incredibly impressive so yeah yeah, I, I think we would feel great about Vassell being here, and, and Helmer oh, is, sure. is the best out of all of these guys, by the way. Um, the, did you have Did you have Halliburton over Devin Vassell? Let me pull this up, because I, I had them close, but I would bet I had yeah. Vassell. I had Vassell fifth, and I had Halliburton seventh, and now thinking back on the fit, I probably... I regret not having Halliburton higher because the fit's just been so perfect. Yeah, I didn't do a King-centric one, but on my overall board, I had Vassell 7 and Halliburton 9. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, then the guy that I really would have considered, and shout-out to Will, is Alexei Pogoshevsky. <laughs> I, I really would have talked myself into this, and part of the logic was I expected the team to be really bad this year. Um and Oku would have contributed to that. Exactly. Um, and it, and it's not just that, you know, I wanted them to draft a bad player. Um, Poku is just a guy that's going to take two or three yeah. years. He, like Four I said, years. he's the youngest guy in the NBA. He was the youngest guy in this draft, um, has a lot of weight to put on, but does have some kind of tantalizing tools that are a little bit of an outlier for this seven-footer that supposedly had a shooting stroke and great um, passing instincts. Um, and, and just was willing to try crazy things, and there's something about that, like you see with Lamelo, um, and Lamelo pulls it off a lot more often. Um, and, and there's definitely reeling in that needs to be done with a lot of that. But um, keeping that aspect, I think, does lead to outlier yeah. players sometimes. Um, and let me tell you, Poku's start has been far from ideal. Twenty-four um, percent from the field. Um, in 17 games that he played with the Thunder, about 17 and a half minutes, 24% from the field, 17% from three. Um, he has not shot a free throw. Um, yeah, there's more turnovers than steals for the guy. Um, it has been a very, like I knew we expected the Poku experience to be rough at first, but uh, this is even more than I expected. Well, you know it's even more impressive in a in an odd way because I agree his shooting numbers aren't ideal, um, but if you look at his per thirty six numbers, I mean he's getting seven and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, and nearly two and a half blocks. So yeah. he's very clearly the guy who in the NBA needs these G League bubble minutes the most of anybody. Um, and. Clearly, given his unique basketball history, um, his age, his skill set, the fact that he barely played last year at all, it's going to be a long time before we have any idea what Poku is going to be in this league. But when it comes to being a developmental player, I mean, like you said, this is he's showing exciting things, 
And if you trust that the shooting will turn around eventually, I mean, this is fine. This yeah. works. I think the fan base would have really struggled with Foku. Oh, for sure. Would have really, really struggled. So he had his first G League game today, and uh, he looked bad in G League. Um, you know, there's there's promising things, but 23 minutes, like I feel like Foku needs to be getting probably the most shots on your team. Um, but to have only 10 attempts, uh, 2 of 10, 1 of 3 from 3, um, only one assist. He he did bring down nine boards, but three turnovers, um, only five points on the game. And, um, yeah, Antonius Cleveland on his team was going crazy and just kind of took over and then limited his role a little bit, which I don't I, – I think if I was OKC, I might be like, hey, listen, we kind of need to develop this poker guy a little bit. Um, but – I think that it's you know it's it's a good situation for Poku for sure. I think the logic of um, thinking the team probably wouldn't have been good this year if if that's what McNair would have agreed with as well um, at the time, then I think that there was some logic to kind of Poku being that guy if Halliburton wasn't available. Um, another really popular one was Aaron Neesmith. I know Tony was a really big Neesmith guy. Um, I was never really into Neesmith that much. I had Neesmith down at 28, actually, on my board. Oh, um, man, I had no idea you had him that low. Yeah, Neesmith, my, my, yeah, I, I ended up with a pretty hot take there of, uh, yeah, Neesmith was definitely the one I, I felt rough about because, um, to me, I was like, you know, this guy is nothing but a shooter. Like, I, I didn't really see much else there. Like, he has the wingspan to be a decent defender, but I didn't feel like he had much of the lateral quickness or displayed, like, outstanding IQ on that end or anything like that. And, uh, you know, at first in Boston, he looked horrible on defense, but I think it's very understanding for, for young rookies um, with this outlier season and, and lack of given time to develop and understand a system. And, and Brad Stevens is an extremely short leash, leash, leash mm-hmm. coach um, with the situation that Boston's in right now as kind of a win-now situation. Um, and, and there have been increased developments there um, on the defensive end that have kind of led to him getting some more minutes. Um, but the three-point shot doesn't look like elite. It's also too early to call it, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Like with any of these guys, he's only thrown up 29 of them and made nine. Um but, but a whopping 78% of his shots are threes so far. So right. he clearly knows what he has to do. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Neesmith never would have been my pick there in the first place, but it, it's hard to tell right now what the situation he's in in Boston. Yeah, I know we had a whole bunch of big Aaron Neesmith fans in the Kings fandom uh, before the draft. Tony was uh, a Neesmith think, guy. I don't know if I already yeah. said this. Um, I think I had him at 18. Um, so clearly, I mean, like in the conversation, but not the guy I'd pick. Um, you know, I said pre-draft that the one skill I was sure he had was his shooting ability and everything else to me was more questionable. So I'm not exceptionally worried that a 20-year-old is shooting 31% from deep when, you know, he's getting inconsistent minutes and, uh, he's... Like, if he was shooting 31% on a bad team, I'd be a lot more worried. But he's shooting it on a really good team where he's only played in nine games. So, um, you know, uh, I admit my willingness to debate trading him for Harrison Barnes is uh, circled solely around that pre-draft process. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see how Boston manages him going forward because uh, I – think you'd agree with me it really would be great if they had another shooting wing off their bench yeah definitely um yeah as long as he's not a liability on defense like he kind of has been most games um but yeah I, I think that um he definitely could help that team and there's a good logic to to picking him there and uh you know the guy that I did I admittedly like better than Neesmith was Sadiq Bay, um who was also a 3 and D guy, except Neesmith was more of like a shoot-off movement and pure shooter, and Bay was more of, you know, kind of not necessarily has to be set. Um, But, I mean, he's a great shooter in his own right coming out of Villanova, but I I think he just has a little more size to him and doesn't quite have the lateral quickness you would want from somebody that I think really got hyped up defensively at the beginning of the draft process. Um, but, and, and there was like, I guess some playmaking stock to him or things like this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but really, I mean, you, you mentioned a majority of Nismith shots coming from three. Same thing going on for Sadiq Bey. Um, of his 146 total field goal attempts, 96 have been from beyond the arc. And he's shooting 37% from three um, on a really bad Detroit team. You know, he's getting a lot of minutes because he's on a bad Detroit team. I don't know about a lot of minutes, 18. Um, by the way, yeah, I mean, getting 18 minutes on a Detroit team compared to, again, Vassell getting 18 minutes on a San Antonio game is insane, a uh, San Antonio yeah. team. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Bay has been kind of your typical expected, you know, catch-and-shoot three-pointer um, mm-hmm. guy on the offensive end in, in a decently switchable 6-7 wing on defense. Well, I will say that I looked up his tracking numbers, and he's been pretty much what we expected um, pre-draft, I said, you know, the one thing I'm sure he's going to do is what he did at Villanova, which was be a very solid catch-and-shoot guy. 55% of his shots have been catch-and-shoot shots. 53% of all of his shots have been catch-and-shoot threes, which is clearly something Detroit needs when the roster construction revolves around big men. Um, so a lower usage dude who can hit off the catch while also adding six rebounds and assist and a half for 36 minutes, I mean, that's exactly what Detroit needs. Um, apparently he went for 15 points in the fourth quarter in that uh, win against the Nets the other night. So oh, wow. good for him and uh, good for the Pistons. Uh, solid fit for what they needed. Um, I definitely would have been more hesitant for him at Sacramento just because, I mean, we know what he is. He's a catch-and-shoot guy who can be an all-right uh, secondary defender. Um I definitely don't know that he has the same upside as even Aaron Neesmith at this point. Um, certainly not anywhere close to Tyrese Halliburton's upside. Uh, and I think even the most adamant Sadiq Bay fans pre-draft would have agreed with me that Tyrese Halliburton was a lot better of a pick. So, yeah. um, But he's been great for Detroit, and uh, that was about his range anyway. Yeah. If so, if Halliburton were to have been selected uh, ten, and then Vassell eleven, um, and Jalen Smith was the one left up in, in in this weird scenario, is there any other guys that we didn't mention that you would have considered? Um, could they trade up for our buddy Isaac Okoro? <laughs> I would. Is that in there? Most minutes of any rookie. Yeah, and what you know me. what? That doesn't surprise me. Um, Cleveland's clearly a developing team. Uh, they've come back to earth a little bit. I think one of the first times I came on the podcast this year, they were number one in points allowed. Yeah. Um, they've fallen down to 11th. Um, but that's still pretty good for, you know, a team that's really young, uh, especially after they lost Larry Nance Jr., who'd been their defensive um, mainstay. Um, but Isaac Okoro has been quietly solid. He's been about what we expected. Um, eight points, two assists, two rebounds on 40% shooting, and 27% from three isn't much to sneeze at if you're just looking at stats, but there's still a good defense, and he's a real big part of that. Um, yeah. I sped watched the Suns and Cavaliers game the other night, uh, and I watched Devin Booker just take it to a curl in multiple plays. Um, there were a couple of cuts and overplays where Booker just left him in the dust, and to me, somebody who watched a ton of Okoro at uh, Auburn, he's clearly still learning to adjust to guarding the best NBA players, guys who are athletic as he is, who can leave him behind if he makes one wrong move. Um, But this is a young team that's clearly eager to give him this role. The fact that they're giving him time to guard guys like Devin Booker says something. Um, so this might just be me looking through my fandom tinted glasses because I've been a fan of Okoro's all year. But I expect in a couple of years we'll be talking about him like we do Macau Bridges, a uh, guy who just kept skating better and whose value on the offensive end spikes with just a bit more creation development. Um, clearly he's got to work on that deep shot. His form looks good. And he's all of, and when you look at his three-point rate, 38% of his shots have been from deep. So he's clearly prioritizing it, but he's still got a long way to go. Yeah, um, I, I mean, echo everything you say. Uh, I was just right next to you, uh, the Okoro hype fan. I ended up with uh, him third on my board. Um, the, the way I want to close here is is who are the guys or who is the one early on that has, um, you know, really surprised you? Um, and, and I'll start. Um, I, I got a lot of crap for this. Obviously, I completely forgot to – I ranked 61 guys, um, and this was my first year doing it, and I forgot to include Peyton Pritchard. 
because I was so uninspired by what I saw. I was just like, you know, I, I don't really think this guy's an NBA player. I think that this is something that he's really successful at the college level, um, but I don't know that it translates to being able to create at the NBA um, level against that level of athletes. I didn't think there was any way he was creating off the dribble. And the craftiness that he's displayed, um, and he is in a very, I, I think, ideal position in Boston, which they're very smart for putting him in that, um, has been has been great for him. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he had 20 points tonight in their win against um, the Toronto Raptors. Um, that's not his first 20-point performance of the game. He's shooting 48% from the field, 42% from three on three attempts a game. He showed playmaking. Peyton Pritchard by far is the guy that uh, surprised me the most, and I can't believe I straight up forgot to rank him. Well, you know, I didn't. I did rank him, and he wasn't in my top 60, so I honestly think I'm in worse spot than you did. Because, um, Lord, I watched plenty of Oregon games, I just didn't believe that his pick-and-roll heavy game would translate to the degree that it has, and clearly he's played a lot more important role than just the pick-and-roll guy in Boston. So um, kudos to Boston, because Lord knows they were the laughing stock of Twitter uh, on draft day, and uh, Pritchard pick in the first round was chief among the reasons, so. Um, yeah, I just said I had these with 28 and then forgot to rank Pritchard, and I was like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> yeah, it was quite a day for me. Yeah, well, at least the Kings did what you wanted them to do, even if Boston did. did. <laughs> well, I'll give you one. Um, Jaden McDaniels, he's only played a 225 minutes this year. Uh, his numbers don't look great as he's shooting just under 40% from the field. But i got to say, the few T-Wolves games I've watched this year, he's really stood out in a lot of ways that he didn't for me in Washington. Um, he's really an intense player, and he's got a simplified role in Minnesota, which is, I think, you know, what you, Rich, and I all said pre-draft would it, was it would be great for him to go somewhere where he could develop slowly as a fourth-fifth option with minimal expectations. And while Minnesota may not be the best developmental situation in the league, I think they've really nailed how they're using him. Um, they've taken away his drive to the basket and run into all the defenders possible, which was pretty much just how he wanted to play in Washington. And now he's an excellent lower usage floor space through hitting 36% from deep. Um, I was worried that uh, the believers were overhyping his defense out of Washington because while he did have some nice help defense blocks in college, he also wavered a little bit uh, intensity-wise. Uh, but he's in, become an incredibly solid weak side rim protector in the NBA. He sticks to his guys. Yeah, I really think in a couple of years, me having him, I think I had him like 26th on my big board. I think that could look pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, I had him 22. Um, I, I mean, the upside was kind of undeniable, right, with the size and um, – shooting potential creation, like you're saying, you know, flashes of weak side rim protection and things like this. Um, but, yeah, for it to come to fruition this early on, I can't say I expected that in the slightest. Um, Minnesota is also not a situation I think I expected to be this bad this year, and a lot of it has to do with obviously Cat missing an extended period of time. Um, yeah, I can't say I've caught the most of J.D. McDaniels, but I, I know people in Minnesota are extremely excited with what they have in him there. Um, and then last thing to close out on the other side of that, who is the player, um, and I'll let you lead here, that you feel best about your evaluation, maybe a guy that you were higher on than most or um, and is kind of looking good right now, or who, who's the evaluation you feel pretty good about right now? You know, honestly, I'm pretty proud of my pre-draft evaluation of Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I know the Kings Herald guys and a lot of fans on Twitter like to rag on me for the exact language that I used about – how he won't be a star player in the traditional sense, but I still think that's all really fair. Um, you and I have really clearly laid out throughout this season what he's done differently than we expected. Um, his shot variance, his off-the-dribble shooting, they're just enormous leaps for what he was doing in college. But I think what we really did nail was that his specific role with his team and why he's such a fantastic fit with De'Aaron Fox. Um, he's still got clear creation and dribbling weaknesses that – unless he has another nuclear jump in his development, uh, I think we'll keep him as one of the better number two initiators in the league. 
Um, but he's also a basketball genius on the court. He'll truly optimize whoever the Kings end up adding around him and Fox. And I feel like that's something we've both been saying since the moment he got drafted. So what about you? I think Sam Merrill, man, he did great in his most recent <laughs> game in the G League. No, man, no. Um, I'd say Merrill's going to get 54. I was shocked to see him on the other team uh, that first quarter game. Um, I, I think I'm going Desmond Bain, which was was, really? was a hot pick um, among draft Twitter, but I remember doing a um, mock draft with, I believe, us two, Nate and Rich, and I took him with one of Minnesota's picks that I want to say was hovering around 17. And, Which um, is where he should have gone now that we're looking at it. Yeah, and I, I got a little bit of slack from you guys for about it. Um, and <laughs> he has been phenomenal. Um, uh-huh. He's you know setting records for rookie three-point shooting. He's extremely switchable on the defensive end. Um, I was, yeah, I mean, with the strength that that guy has, uh, you know, rivaling Robert Woodard, I was like, man, I, I think that Desmond Bain, even though he's, what, 6'4", I'm like, I'm telling you, I think this guy actually could steal minutes at the four if you're switching on to him, um, which is still probably a little um, a little optimistic. But, you know, just stealing minutes isn't crazy in, in a switch-heavy scheme or anything like that. Um, Bain has been extremely great during his time in Memphis. Memphis always comes away with draft Twitter's crushes. Yeah. Um, so I feel pretty good. I, I, I got him at 24, but... I gotta say, he was an absolute perfect fit in Memphis. I mean, just as a fan of basketball, it was great to go see Memphis clearly prioritizing a guy who really could fit with John Morant because Lord knows that team has needed shooting for the last couple of years, and now they've really got a good one. So, um, yeah, draft Twitter in Memphis strikes again. Yeah, there we go. Um, and let me tell you, I still think that there is a good chance the Sacramento Kings had the best draft. Um, hey. I sure hope so. It, it early returns if Robert Woodard uh, keeps up what he's doing in this G League bubble and Tyrese Halliburton keeps going at the rate he's doing. I mean, clearly, if the draft was redone, there's no way Tyrese Halliburton would fall to 12. So it tells you all you got to know about Sacramento's draft record so far. Yeah, I thought Halliburton was a steal of draft, and then I watched these Woodard games, man, so I don't really know what's going on right now. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, people should definitely tune into these games if they can. Um, I'll, I'll be posting things about it for sure. I'm going to keep a really close eye on it. Uh, we'll be covering it here at Kings Pulse. Um, anything that I post or other guys on the site post is going to be at uh, kingsherald.com. Definitely check out the site there. Great work going on all the time on G League guys, future draft guys, um, obviously the stellar play of the current Sacramento Kings roster. Um, and check out the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.